and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. So before we begin, I just want to give a massive, massive shout out to each and every one of you that's returning to this podcast this week to listen. I remember when we first launched, I said to my husband, we're sitting at the kitchen table and I said to him how happy I would be if 10 people listened to the podcast on day one. And I kind of thought that would probably be our family. Uh, but the support has been overwhelming. We're, on the first day alone, we had 400 people listen around Australia. And by day two, we had made it to the top 10 in the Australian charts for our category. None of this would have been possible if each and every single one of you had not gone in and listened and supported us. I know you've been sharing the episodes like crazy with your friends and family. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Every time you share an episode, it creates an opportunity for us to have a greater impact in people's lives. And I just love the little community that we've already created in week one. On that note, this episode is quite different to the others. Every few episodes in this season, I'm going to talk to an expert in their field about challenges that they see on a daily basis and get some great tips for you in that space. And today's podcast is with the legendary Dave Ballard, aka Classy. There's only a few of us that call him that, but I just don't know how not to call him that. So you'll hear us flip between David and Classy throughout the whole episode. He is currently the head of performance at the Broncos, but he's also my business partner. He helped co-found the company Tri Altitude Performance, and he has 17 years experience in the sporting industry. He's worked with clubs such as the Dragons, the Knights, the Reds, and obviously the Broncos where he's at now. And we discussed at length about what we could talk about today. It was quite hard to narrow down a topic, as you can imagine. And we decided to go with mindset around returning to play or returning to the gym after having an injury. The first 20 minutes is going to be on David's career because I really want you to get an idea of where he's come from and how he's gotten to where he is today. And then we'll talk about how different people respond differently to injuries and the importance of having direction. And at the end, he gives this cool little strategy that he uses on a regular basis in his coaching role. I really hope you enjoy the change of pace in this podcast. And there is a lot of laughing. Welcome, Classy, to Challenges That Change Us. Thanks for having us on. Looking forward to it. <laughs> so how's your week been? Have you been flat out? Uh, yeah, it's always pretty busy this time of the year. Well, obviously, with family, having a wife and three kids is busy enough, but obviously with work as well. So we've just started the footy season, so it's a busy time for us, yeah. Yeah, I would love to, and it's not the podcast for it today, but I'd love to know how you manage 
all of that, you know, like a full on career, three kids. I've got three kids at home, but like, you just seem to do it so seamlessly. It might not look like that behind the scenes, but (laughs) whenever I hear you talk, I'm like, mate, he has it together. (laughs) Um, A very supportive wife and very hardworking wife helps me do what I can do. Yeah. I've got a good crew around me at work as well, as, as well at home and, and obviously uh, extended family as well, more family and my family as well. So yeah. That always helps. And I love to start every podcast with a question around if you were to pick an animal that would best describe you, what animal would you choose and why? That's a tough one. I'll probably have to start with a meat eater. Mm-hmm. Are we going to elaborate on that? I just like eating meat, like brekkie lunch and dinner, you know, bacon, eggs, breakfast, and then there's always got to be some sort of protein involved. So it's got to be a meat eater. I don't know where I'll go from there. Um, maybe an alligator. I like swimming. Yeah. Thick skin and like eating meat. I'll go with that. <laughs> I was yeah. thinking cheetah. I don't know. I was thinking why why a cheetah? And I don't know how fast you are, but I think you're pretty fast. No, no, I'm not fast at all. <laughs> Compared to who? Compared no, to who? No, I'm not at all, so. A bit of a fun fact. Um, Classy and I played uni games together. We played mixed netball. And then after that, he was a PT for a little while and probably my first PT I ever had. And we used to go running. Do you remember that? You used to take us running along the road and up the hills and – all I ever saw was the back of your head. So I think you are fast. <laughs> Either that or I'm really slow. I'm just you then because I'm slow. I've, I've probably always done more endurance-based uh, running uh, rather than sprinting and uh, and more strength-based work in the gym rather than power-based. So I definitely don't have speed, although I did do a little speed block last year, about 10 weeks worth, um, and brought my 40-metre time down about 0.3 seconds, which is a fair bit over 40. And I was happy with that. Um, but there was a few hamstrings and calves and tendons not feeling great. So <laughs> I had to be careful about how, uh, how I went about it. But I got through injury free and made some good improvements. So that was, a, that was a good little experiment on the body that's aging. I was just about to say, I think that's more to do with age, isn't it? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I know my body well, so I knew when to have the rest days and when to, when to push it a bit harder. So, but that was, that was good fun, actually, doing that instead. Obviously, only having to run a couple hundred metres in a session rather than going for a five or six K run. So. Or a 42. You've done a marathon, haven't you? Yeah, I've done a marathon as well. That was the one-off. I don't know if I'll go back there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure your words were, I'm never doing that again. And when I told you I was going to do a half iron, you were like, why? <laughs> yeah, I did say that. I probably should soften it a little bit because you shouldn't never say never, right? But oh, it's not on in the foreseeable future. How about we put it like that? Yet. I don't know if we're going into that now, but I think the error I made was I think I only did 33Ks in my last run. I think you need to go to at least 36 for it not to feel like you got uh, daggers going into your calves at the back yeah. end. And so I think that was my mistake. It wasn't that bad. It was only the last little bit. It was quite painful. Yeah. It's on my bucket list, so I'll definitely be getting a few tips from you when I get back up to that. But I'm starting at zero, so it's a long way in the future. <laughs> And the other question I love to ask, is there is there a room or a place when you were growing up that's really special to you or a favourite place? Um, I think um, my mum and dad are both, like my mum loves the beach, my dad loves a, the country. So we had holidays uh, in both areas sort of growing up. So around Easter time, we go out to a friend's place out um, past Roma. So that's in the Queensland countryside. Um, we spent 10 days over Easter, you know, riding motorbikes, learning how to drive a car when you're real young. 
feel-good care riding horses and so on. So that was obviously great experiences once a year through primary school and high school. And then my mum loved the beach, so we also had our holidays at um, Morton Island. Oh, cool and Gatta for one week and I was over at Morton Island for a week or two each year as well. So so I've got the best of both worlds there. So I think I probably now we live close to the beach and it's probably more normal to go to a beach holiday rather than out bush, but I do like going out there when you get the chance. And you often take the kids out there. Often when I speak to you on the road, was it your sister used to live out west, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. My sister lived at Roma for quite a long time and then she's got a child around the same same age as my three. So, um, yeah, we did a few trips out to Roma and that, and that was one of the reasons why she went out there because she enjoyed her childhood out there and became friends with our family friends that were out there. So that's actually the link why she was out there in the first place. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good, you know, down-to-earth country people, you know, you know, being in Armidale. And so that connection there was always good to take my young boys out to see the, the country yeah. as well and, and you know, those things, getting them on a horse and, and those kind of things are pretty cool. Yeah, so but she, she's back down at Redcliffe now, so that sort of takes that opportunity away. Yeah. I know someone that lives um, in the country that you could come and visit. Well, I'll have to get there at some point soon. <laughs> Do you have a favourite memory, though, from growing up out at Roma? Like was there something that happened or an event or something that you did that you probably shouldn't have as a kid? It was a big property. So I wasn't in Rome. It was a couple of hours sort of northwest of Roma and it was a big property. So there was lots of things to do, probably two two memories. One was what we go shooting regularly. So even if it was just shooting in cans or or kangaroos or wallabies or whatever it might be, was you know, that's something that the country folk do just to get meat for their dogs because, you know, they've got eight, ten dogs or yeah. whatever. So it's... Um, and then also they got a little creek near their house and one year it, it um, flooded. So like this dry creek that we'd always go to actually had water in it one time so I got to have a swim out there. So like just little memories like that. You know, Dad always bogged the car so he also had that as something that was a sort of fun thing to look back on and give Dad a bit of shit about that. So, <laughs> it's, it's so lucky and it's such a privileged life to get both, isn't it? Like I remember yep. when I was out at Dubbo, driving to the city and one of the kids was like, you know, miss, miss, that's a huge dam. And I was like, um, that's the ocean, you know, but they'd never seen it, right, because they'd always been in the country. And so to kind of have both of those experiences growing up and then to be able to offer it for your kids is amazing. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So, I mean, even once again, my sister's moved back down closer to us, which is great for the with uh, her kid. But, uh, you know, we got an opportunity up to, um, I'm not sure what it's called, it's like a camp for a school. It's like a farm stay last October or September, October, up just north of Toowoomba. And that was only for a couple of nights, but it was great to be out there. And they had all the little baby animals and, the, yeah. you know, pretty self-sustaining out there. So it was, it was good, really good. Yeah, we take it for granted in the country, baby animals. Like, you know, it's just, yeah. you know, you're having animals all the time and half the time it's like trying to protect the cow that's just had a calf and then something's happened, whereas... The snakes come in and get the chooks. And- yes. Yes, I found three dead chooks yesterday and I was like, oh, my God, what's happened? I don't know. Like, I don't know what it was, but I was like, the kids are going to be devastated. Yeah, yeah, they've got names and, you know, they go down there every day and look after them. Yeah. And, Classy, the thing that I would really like to talk about with you today is your career, like how you got to where you are, where did it all begin. You've had such a colourful career and this is your everyday, but for someone else it's absolutely extraordinary. So, you know, I really want to kind of unpack that and look at all the little bits. So where did you start? How did it all begin? Yeah, I'll probably take it back to maybe high school is a good time. Is um, I remember Dad, Dad 
went from being a bank manager to a taxi driver and I don't know if you like the way things were going in the banks back then with more computerized stuff and the customer service was dropping and so I think having the couple of things, having the taxi allowing to still have high customer service, obviously be his own boss and also not work in an office every day. And I was I enjoyed all sports as a kid, you know, and rugby league was my number one sport, but I was never much good at it. So probably even though I probably definitely could have tried harder and trained harder, you know, I probably realised I wasn't going to play in a at a pretty young age or as a sort of mid-teenager. And it was about that time Jerry Maguire, that, um, the movie with Tom Cruise come out, and he was a player agent. I thought, oh, that's maybe where I'll go, to be a player agent. That's where it started. You know the movie? I haven't seen oh, it. Cuba Gooding Jr. Just show me the money. I, I know the movie you're talking about, but I haven't seen it. I'm going to go watch it after this. I wouldn't have seen it since then. So. And then at the end of my grade 11 year, Wayne Bennett came to school to speak at a lads and dads breakfast, which is pretty good. And um, I was going into being a school captain, so I emceed it. So I had to get to have a good chat with Wayne. And he actually, I sort of told him my plans is what I wanted to do. And um, he's pretty much had a, not a very high opinion of player managers, probably to put the at, the at the point in time. So he pretty much told me his thoughts at that age. I was like, okay, fair enough. Well, maybe it's not the best thing for me. Anyway, I pushed out, did sports, did like him, movement and business at uni. And not till second year did I realize, or end of first year, start of second year, did I realize that you actually, it's more you had to do law, um, or yeah, you know, it's more to do with contracts and not that all ah. agents are, are solicitors or anything, but they deal in contracts. So I didn't know that either. Yeah, and you don't have to be a lawyer or a solicitor or whatever, but um, there's, there's things you need to know about it. So I ended up doing a prac at the Broncos in my second year of uni, and I just sort of saw the, what the trainers were doing here, and I thought, well, you know, that's probably the path I'll go down, and everything I worked towards from second year university, which is now nearly yeah, 20 years ago or 19 years ago now, is pretty much worked towards getting into the industry and working up to being, being where I am now, yeah. so That's just even you just being like, oh, in second uni I went and did a, a prac at the Bronx. Like I don't even know how people get exposure to that in the first place, yeah. right? Well, listen, I'll tell you how it happened is that yeah, you do whatever the course it was where you do your 30 or 40 hours prac, they give you a list of places you can go to and some places take more than others and I think the Broncos would take one or two, like not many. And so – I thought, well, I'll put that as my first preference and, and a couple others as my second and third. And when I got out of the building, I thought, oh, rather than waiting to the next lecture to hand in or whatever it was, I went straight to the careers person who dealt with them. I went straight down there and gave it to him so I was the first person to hand it in. So I hoped that I'd get it. And I did. And anyway, that was only a short period of time and that was good. Um, but then I didn't work again in rugby league until you know two or three years after that where I broke into the feeder club system for the Broncos, which is like three or four teams down from the NRL. Yeah. And then work my way up from there. And it just happened like on top of that, like you know, I thought I worked reasonably hard at university. Obviously had a good time along the way with yourself. <laughs> or we are not talking about that today. Yeah. Yeah. Don't think that will help yeah. either your career or my career if we go back to um, uni days. That's a good point. We'll move on. <laughs> and then so towards the end there, it was the last year of uni, I started working with Aspley, which was, yeah, like I said, a few um, teams down from the NRL team. But I was also doing some PT on the side because notoriously in our industry, you get paid nothing for the first few years, very minimal or a couple of thousand dollars to do a Q-Cup team, you know, and you put a lot more hours in than what you uh, actually get paid, which is fine. That's It's part and parcel of it at the time. So, But you got to get paid. So I did PT and that's, you know, obviously did a little bit of PT with yourself as well and many others to fund 
all the free work that I was doing to try to get into the industry. And it just happened to be that the, the manager of the gym at the time was a Broncos rehab coach at the time, Jeremy Hickman. So I got a link in there. So from going from the, the sort of four-string Broncos team up into the reserve grade team, you know, within a month or so after meeting him, and just obviously still doing free work, but it was about getting the foot in the door, right? So, yeah, so that was 06, and then 07 and 08 sort of worked, started to get paid in the in the Queensland Cup industry, uh, Queensland Cup level below the Broncos. And then in 2000, end of 2008, when Wayne Bennett went down to the Dragons and Jeremy, the Broncos rehab coach, went to the head of performances of Broncos, they went to the Dragons and there was a spare S&C spot and Jeremy asked me to go down. So that was my first full-time job when I went to the Dragons. Wow. And and the other person I went down there was Scott Parker. He, he was Wayne's analyst, but he was actually, in 2003, he was my um, site supervisor when I was, went to the Broncos for uni. So it's kind of like, and people say it's kind of who you know as well. Like it just happened to be, there was just a bit of potluck. I ended up at the gym where Jeremy's partner worked and then you know, put me in touch with him. And obviously I had to work hard you know, to be able to you know, get that opportunity as well. But a little bit of luck and a little bit of hard work. and Been in the right spot at the right time as well. And only because someone moved on from the Dragons as well. They were, he was going to stay and then last minute he got a job somewhere else and, and that spot opened up. So if it didn't open up, who knows, you know, where it would have gone to. And did you always want to work in elite sport? Like was that always what you were gunning for? I, I just think going back to the initial conversation, I remember Dad talking about that he didn't want to work in the office. I'm like, I love sport. Like I don't want to work in the office all day. Mm. Like I was – quite good at numbers at school so I could have you know you initially think of like an accountant or something like that that sounds boring right so (laughs) you have way your personality does not lends itself to sitting at a desk unless you have a whole crew of people around you that you can banter with all day is what I would say it's essentially where we're at now so you know there's a lot of coaching or there's always a lot of coaching I still love the coaching I want to coach more yeah, but the role that I've ended up in now, there's a lot of time at a computer, but there's obviously still coaching time, which would be tough if you didn't do that, you know. Mm. And what from the Dragons? So how long were you down there? What was that like? Yeah, I was there for three years working in their academy system as well as the NRL squad. So that's one of those jobs when you first get paid, you get paid not a lot, but at least it's a full-time job and you just work your ass off to, you know, to get better and to get, you know, see other players get better as well. And to try to win some games because it's probably a bit unlike most industries that, you know, week to week you win and loss, your emotions are up and down. Yeah, you try to hold steady, obviously, but but that's part of the reason why you do it. It's, you know, because of the, the obviously the euphoria of winning. Um, obviously, you don't do it to lose, but, you know, that is the nature that comes with it. If there was no losing, then there would be no euphoria either because of, mm. of that. The higher the highs, the lower the lows, yeah. and the vice versa. You know, it gives it yeah. more breath. Yeah, yeah. So, and we we're, we're, I mean, yeah, Wayne's a great coach. So, um, and we had some good players in, and and we did a good job with them, I think, as well. And um, the Dragons, yeah, they had a good team already. But I guess you know, obviously, put Wayne Bennett in there, you know, and getting a couple of really good recruits in and and trained them well. We had a, it was a, once again, I was only young, so I didn't have a lot of experience. I didn't know what good and bad was at the time. I was in there, and we went well, and. It was excellent, and I also got to play footy down there myself with it in a local team, which I enjoyed that group of guys as well. So it was a really good place to be at the time, and yeah, that was getting to work with the young guys coming through. So that that's that was a different experience to work with the NRL, but you know, seeing seeing that right across actually helped me, you know, further down in my career as well. But mm. uh, 
Yeah, those are really good good times. Obviously, when you when you're winning lots of games. Yeah, and what happened? Ne- like, what what was next for you after that? How did you move on? How did you get your next career jump? Yeah, so Wayne um, moved to Newcastle after that, the Newcastle Knights, and I signed a deal there. And yeah, the opportunity, I think the opportunity was there to go to the Knights or say the Dragons in a full-time NRL role, so out of the junior role into into a more senior role, which was both appealing, obviously, but I guess knowing and being close with Jeremy, obviously being my direct boss and having some loyalty there. And yeah, they treated me well initially and gave me my start. So I probably had a bit more loyalty probably to those staff rather than the actual club at the time. Although the Dragons were an excellent club. You know, the other people there were excellent as well. And I could have easily stayed there and been happy as well. Mm. I just maybe felt like it was a new new chapter for me. And it was a reasonably senior role as well that I went to at Newcastle. So it's going to the, the conditioning manager role for you with the NRL team. Yeah, so that was that was good. That was four years at Newcastle. And there was some, once again, really good city to live in, Newcastle. Well, I married my wife around that same time that we transitioned there, Jodie. So she she came to Wollongong from Brisbane. And then, yeah, so, and then we had our, um, our first child in the last year there as well. So that was the four years at Newcastle was really up and down um, with mm-hmm. wins, losses and some experiences that you wouldn't wish on any teams that, you know, how one of the ones that got out a neck injury, one of the players there, he actually come from the Dragons. I knew him from when he was young, Alex McKinnon, and great fella, probably one of the hardest trainers I've ever trained, and that's a lot of a lot of guys. Yeah. And just a genuine good fella and helped a lot of other players out, even though he was only young. He helped a lot of other young guys out. To, you know, he, was a, he was a leader in the making, had a horrendous neck injury and ended up in a wheelchair start 2014 season, which – um. Yeah, rocked the whole club. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, you know, what it did to him and his family wasn't great either. But that was a real challenge for the whole club. And yeah, every the good thing was it did show that everyone rallied around in the club, the players, staff. Obviously, Wayne was real close with him as well. So you see the community, don't you? When something like that happens, a community the spot like goes outwards and turns outwards, or it comes together as and just really yeah. rallies around. I, I think the. Pretty sure, like I couldn't tell you the exact figure. I'm pretty sure the NRL raised over a million dollars. Wow! You know, for him over, you know, a couple of rounds or whatever it might have been there. So, and the Knights, you know, have done plenty for him as well. But that was a challenging time there, and that was around the same time there was a change in ownership structure. So there was some issues around that, and yeah, so that was a challenge there. And but we did we did go to the prelim finals in 2013. So there was a bit of a good run there where we where we got things right for a while. But yeah, we had a fair few injuries with a couple of key players, which just made us struggle maybe to have that edge to go right through. But, mm. um, but the other, there were some other really good teams that year as well, so it would have been a challenge for us regardless. And after the Knights, where did you head to? Yes, after the Knights, we went through a tough year in 2015. We got the we got the wooden spoon. We started the year four from four and finished with the wooden spoon. And it was a challenging year and I felt like I couldn't change enough things personally to get us better like yeah and in one role of many staff members i guess you, you got to have a bit of power to be able to change things on a big enough scale to get from wooden spoon so the guy i worked with actually knew the head of performance at the at the reds and there was a role open up and thought as opportunity we had a, a one-year-old or a near one-year-old and um and we were both from brisbane our parents are up here and there was a role open up at the queensland Reds. so and we thought why not try another sport instead mm-hmm. of just doing rugby league and so literally finished with New South Wales Cup. Um, they went to the grand final in 2015. So I went to their grand final, drove up, 
on the Monday and then started work on Tuesday for the Reds. Yeah. It was a real experience changing over. Like, yeah, they look the same sports, but there's a lot of differences in them. Particularly in the performance aspect, I'd imagine. But yeah, they're, they're less homogenous of position, so a lot of, uh, yeah, the props are a lot different to the outside backs, which, whereas in the league, the props have to be really fit still. Yeah, they don't have to scrum in, so you don't need the sort of same body types. So there's a bigger variation, which was good, which is a good experience to have. What did you enjoy about changing codes? The best part, probably working with the head of performance there, I'd say my attention to, I like the Knights, enjoyed all the, all the staff really good, but I'd say my attention to detail and my ability to work quite as hard wasn't there. Whereas when I went to the Reds, yeah, we worked big hours. Yeah, there was less staff members, so you had to do more, essentially. Yeah. Tension to detail of, of Marshy, the, the head of performance there, was really high. So that made me have high attention to detail, which is mm. really good. Um, and that's coaching detail, coaching eye. Like when you're watching someone squat, like picking up little bits, the smaller movements rather than over, everyone can see whether your knees go forward or, you know, but if your spine's moving just a little bit too much or like little things. They're little things that can make a big difference. I know when I've been in the gym with you and we've done some training behind the scenes, it's like I'm always in awe about what you can pick up and what you can see. And I know mm. you've probably heard this so many times. I'm like, how come they don't teach that to us? And you're like, Arles, I've been in the industry for 20 years. <laughs> like, you got to watch the same guy for this amount of time and you might go to a video and then slow it down. You start to see things. And then actually as you watch it and see it more, it's just something you you can't really speed up. But like that's why you can't have a you know, a first year coach out of uni, expect them to co- coach a speed program at NRL level the same as someone who's been around for twenty years because yeah. the coaching eyes just they could know all the textbook stuff. Yeah. But in also watching it, coaching it, slowing it down, coach you know, just trying things, re coaching something, seeing what works what queuing works, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it takes, takes a long time. Yeah, and it just always blows me away like when I'm working beside you, just that expertise that you have there. You know, it's it's always so exciting to be in the gym with you but yeah. so like what's that word where it like puts you back in your seat kind of thing? It's like I know nothing. <laughs> oh, it's all right. And once again, sometimes you just got to get in the gym and rip in anyway, right? Like yeah. Yeah, the technique get into it. But once again, the t- talk about timing earlier, like I was like he comes through the Broncos. I don't know if these names, these names probably don't mean anything to you, but when I come through the Broncos, like Jeremy's been around in the industry forever. He's an unbelievable rehab coach. Dan Baker was the head of the ASCA. He was a strength coach when I first started in there. And Dean Benton was the head of performance and his conditioning and speed's ridiculous. So, yeah, I started there and then I've worked with other guys in the industry. It's been really good. And then, you know, to stumble across Damian Marsh, um, at the Reds there where I need to kick up the ass and, and learn the detail more. And he was there to give us, you know, because we, we would go through, you know, all the gym exercises, every little bit of cue, or what, why do you do that? And then you'd have to explain yourself why, why you coach it that way yeah. or why you did that movement that way. And then, you know, we'd do the exercise ourselves, change your body position, see how that felt differently to, to doing it my way versus his way and, and like, We'd just be endlessly doing that. It's interesting you say that. I read a quote today and I won't, I won't be able to remember it off the top of my head, but it was something like there's two ways of learning. You can go to uni, go to school, go to uni, learn that traditional way like a lot of doctors and lawyers do, or you can look at the sport aspect of learning, which is where you always need a coach. No matter how good you are, 
you always have a coach. And the reason for that coach is to be able to observe and give you that like on point in the moment feedback and for you to also observe them. And it is so true. It really stopped me when I read that. I was like, it's so true. Like we never outgrow coaches. We might outgrow that coach or they might move into a different area, but having a coach there beside you and learning from someone that's got more expertise or does it a different way is just such a gift and a privilege. Oh, obviously we're working with so many great coaches there across. Like the coaches can understand voice and tone and how you put things across. It's almost like they've stepped back and seen themselves coach and then they can change things based on that so mm. it's it's good feedback like when you know our younger coaches here are coaching i try to give them some feedback based on what i've seen because they might not feel the same being obviously within their body saying it first what i'm seeing from a different angle and mm. from a different point of view so I'll, I'll give feedback regularly on that because yeah that's what technical mastery did with myself and i thought you know i learned a lot from that and learned fast from that yeah yeah so that's yeah, if you were going to learn faster, yeah, I said it's hard to pick things up quicker, but if you've got someone giving you good feedback on on what is good and what isn't good. Yeah, and kind of holding that mirror up, right? It's like they hold up a mirror for you to see exactly what you're doing and, you know, yeah. where you can stretch yourself and, and where you can improve, areas that you can improve on. And then from the Reds, you went back to the Bronx, back to yeah. the starting ground. Yeah, I spent um, 18 months at the Reds and uh, and I did enjoy it. However, it wasn't rugby league and I don't know why. We just lost half the listeners, you know. We just lost half the listeners because you've just said that you've gone back to rugby league. That's okay. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I'll tell you this though, this, is, this will be interesting for you. When I went to rugby union, everyone in rugby union wanted to know about rugby league, like what went on. Yeah, what's his player like? Oh, what? Tell me a bit story about that. Tell me about Wayne. This and that. When I went from Union back to League, no one ever asked me about Union. Really? Yep. Everyone wow. wants to know about League, and not, there's not a lot in return. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we could spend a whole podcast on trying to break that down, but all around the, the players in the game, not about, not so much about the staff or yeah. like working in it. It was more so just yeah, well, what, what's that guy like? And what? Yeah, they're, they're really. Interested, and I know the All Blacks recently come across all well, over Suncorp Stadium for, but they spoke to one of our staff members here about how all the All Blacks are fans of rugby league, and you know we think, oh, this player would be good in rugby league, and you know, talking about union players, but not many players make the jump that way. It's usually they go from league to union, yeah, um, rather than the opposite way around. But yeah, but I, f- I find that I find that pretty interesting. I don't know why. I'm not sure. Why the fascination? Mm. And then you headed over to the Bronx. Yeah, so I went to yeah, we're only a suburb away from the Reds at the Broncos here, but yeah, we're, there was academy role opened up, and I saw that was even though you know a lot of people view working in a professional team going back to academy as a step back, and I, I didn't really see it as that because the role at the Broncos is held quite highly. The academy role, you know, it's a full time role, it's paid a reasonable amount. The good thing about it at the time, which I probably didn't know because I only knew, knew one of the guys a little bit, but the guys in, in that academy, really good fellas, is probably one of the most enjoyable groups that I've worked in. Just good good guys to be around, um, professionals at their work, but also know how to have a bit of a laugh and when to take the pressure off with a bit of fun and whatever else as well. So that role, the academy role, so yeah, that worked with, well, with up to down to 12-year-olds, but only contracted Broncos players are from 15 years and up. So mm. there was really good systems and, and structures set in place here from when I come in, and I, um, I like to think I, I improved on them as well. 
yeah, we've had a lot of guys come out of that system there and, and gone on to play and really had the Broncos end at other clubs as well. So You always talk so fondly of your time when you were there. Yeah. Yeah, you loved it. I'm not sure. I think the guys that you well, you got two things. Like I know teachers and I've got a lot of friends that are teachers and they sometimes pull their hair out about with adolescents. And and to be fair, yeah, you do have a couple of rugby league adolescent players that probably aren't that well behaved, but there are a lot of guys there that come to the Broncos at that age group are driven to play rugby league. So they're gonna do the right thing, generally, mm. in a general sense. Not everyone, of course. But you know, we try to try to hold them to a high standard there and, and both behaviourally and, and athletically and, and skill-wise, try to give them the best programs possible because we want them going through in the best possible shape and give them the best possible chance to play NRL, whether it be yeah, at the Broncos. And once again, you can't have every young kid come through, so we understand someone will leave, but we try to get as many throws as we can to NRL as possible. And then last year you got the call-up to go up to A-grade. Yeah, and it was hard because, I, like I said, I did enjoy working in the academy. Yeah, it was a big decision. It was a big decision. I think I spoke to you a couple of times about it as well. Yeah, so I thought they'd ask me, well, they sort of played with me one other time and I was sort of thought about it and knocked it back and I thought they might stop asking me if I say no. <laughs> Maybe he's saying no. I just knew if I wanted to go into a head of performance role, I couldn't stay in the academy role because – Although it's like a miniature version because you know, we did have part-time staff work under me. We were running a whole program with a lot of structures and systems in place. Uh, I just I just know it's not seen as that. And to be fair, there are some things that you need to work in NRL for a little bit as well just to know that difference as well. So uh, I do understand it and it's not a problem. And um, had um, a year as a Broncos rehab coach. And then, yeah, we didn't go great. And after that, you know, I tried to work pretty hard to get the role as well. But a couple of staff left and, and I happened to get the head of performance role, which I was pretty keen to do. Which is pretty amazing to think back to the very start that Wayne Bennett was the first conversation that kind of shifted your mindset. Then you kind of travelled with him, left and then came back. And then the Broncos also was where you did your first placement and now you're back there. Like it's kind of almost like you've just returned home, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can think about it like that. Yeah, oh, you never know what happens in professional sport. I would like to always got to the head of performance role. I never would have thought I'd start at the Broncos because of it being such a large organisation. Yeah. You know, you just think you'd probably start somewhere else and then do a good job and try to come in here. But hopefully I've done a good enough job to show that I was worthy of the position and then hopefully I can continue to do a, a really good job to get the players in better shape so we can – win some more games. Absolutely. And as you know, I used to go for North Queensland and I have since changed and my loyalty is now 100%. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you are and you'd like to learn more or engage further with our podcast community, you can do this in our Facebook group. Just search for Challenges That Change Us on Facebook or look in the link in our show notes. In this group, we'll be sharing extra content and giving further background to our episodes So I hope to see you there. But for now, let's get back to the episode. What I'd really, really love to talk to you about today, and a lot of our listeners out there, this will be really relevant for them because one area that you work in, like we've heard about such an interesting and incredible career, and you have worked over time in lots of facets, but particularly in rehab, and athletes face intense pressure to return to play when they are injured. They often focus on the physical, and it's not often spoken about, or at least 
I know in my experience, it's not often spoken about the mental side of returning to play. So I wanted to open that up for a conversation today around the challenges that you see there. Yeah, it's a good area of discussion because these are things you don't learn at uni, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you learn the X's and O's of, of how to write a rehab program. Yeah, and, and even that's you know, different in, in sport than what it is at uni. But you certainly don't learn about, you know, you do 101 psychology or whatever it is, but that's about it. So it's about initially you learn things as you go, you pick up things from other practitioners, you know. But what's I think initially when you're dealing with the athlete, when they first had an injury, athletes take injuries differently. So some are naturally more positive and will be upbeat about it. Uh, not necessarily upbeat about it, but look on the bright side a bit more, whereas other guys will think it's the worst thing that's ever happened to them and that their life's about to end. So... The initial conversation over those first few days post, depending on what is, is important to check in with them, see how they're going, seeing how they're thinking and get a bit of a feel for where they're at. So then you can sort of tailor some advice and see where they need help. And if you think someone else can help them, so rather, yeah, you're obviously the other key people is the doctor, the, the physio, particularly the physio, because they spend a lot of time early on with manual rehab, uh, massage and, and flex and, and lower level rehab exercises. And also, it's it's worthwhile getting a, the coach involved, which sometimes so coaches can get busy and sort of forget about rehab because they're not in the forefront because they're not playing on the weekend. But mm. get a coach involved that helps the players as well. I think it's really important what you said around it's a check in to start with. Like you need to first of all see where that athlete has gone. Like have they dropped? Are they like on a mission? And that can also work against them at times too. So you can have a really positive upbeat perspective but you can work too hard you can be driving yourself too hard so you kind of got to know where the lay of the land is right yeah and you got to work within those like you might have an athlete that just hates training hates doing everything so you're just bringing them from sort of here to here whereas you got someone who trains at this level or like a really high level all the time and they want to go even harder we just might bring them down a peg but that's still going to be harder than the guy who's trains at a low level so yeah it's within their bandwidth yeah i might be bringing them down touch or bringing them up a touch it, yeah it kind of depends where they are but like whether it's a goal or setting some direction at least in their program about what we're trying to achieve maybe depending on the time frame of the injury how you how you frame that up to them but some guys love detail like we've i've had two different athletes in the last 18 months come back from acls and they're completely different athletes chalk and cheese one was uh, unbelievably diligent with everything that he does and and really goal-focused. And, and the other person just wants day-to-day, like just on that day, let me know what I'm doing. I don't want to look mm. too far, far ahead. You just tell me that. So in advance, a guy who's, you know, can really focus and, and have lots of goals and like he'll, he'll put the timeline up on the wall. Yeah, you, know, you can set him goals all along the way and he'll just tick them off, tick them off as he goes. And he just, every day he's working towards something. Whereas the other guy, he just wants to get through the day. Yeah. He can knuckle down, but if he's looking too far ahead, that's too big a challenge for him. Yes, yes. And I think this is probably, I don't know for you, but definitely for me, it's probably where we bonded the most, right, was around the conversations around the psych, around players, Mm -hmm. you know. What is it that makes them different? And if you have two people with the same physique or two people with the same injury, you know, someone's detailed focus, someone's big picture, someone needs accountability through someone standing over them versus accountability through ticking a box. Like all those things, and and they're the things that are hard. There's no textbook for that, really. Well, I don't know if there is. I haven't seen the textbook for we it. We can write one. Yeah. <laughs> In your <laughs> spare time. I mean, we do a lot of content. <laughs> I mean, and, and once again, you do it, or I mean, you could you can read people pretty well, but 
a lot of sites can get profiling on people on their behaviours. So we don't do that, or maybe we should, but SNC coaches, we do that just by talking to them and trying to get a feel for them. Or over time, we've known them. So the guy is very detail-focused. He's been in the academy and then come into the NRL team. So I've known him for three or four years. I know that's what he's like. So I've got a good feel for him already. And this is, you know, I, I speak about that with him when we sit down and, and, you know, and you can see if it's too much for him, then we can change things or that's about right. You know, he'll love it, you know, and, and you get a bit of a feel. So it's more so having the conversations and just dealing with the person based on the style of person they are. And I think it's asking the right questions. I think we don't put enough emphasis on that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something that, I think at sometimes I, I do well when I know my area and then sometimes or when I'm a bit short of time, I'll tell people and yeah. I've got to realise maybe I need to ask a question. That, that's a whole other I think whole we other all I think we all have that, you know, yeah. especially when we're time poor. It's like I know the answer or I think I know the answer or this is the way we need to go instead of that holding yeah. space for them to kind of integrate it into their own world. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's certainly something that is very important in coaching is to try to get them to bring it out rather than you telling them what they need to do. So I think that helps a lot. I think one of the other key points in in the rehab process, and once again, with longer term particularly, and I think the, I heard this on a, a it was four or five years ago. It was actually just before I started at the Reds as a rehab coach. So I've sort of used it over that period. But I think it was David Joyce, I think. He's a pretty well-credentialed strength conditioning or performance as well, and I don't personally know him. I just listen to one of his podcasts, and he uses sort of this tool when players return from injuries. It might be, say, a month out. Let's say you're returning from an ACL injury after nine months. It might be a month out or two months out. When the players are sort of nearly back to doing everything, use a, a technique where you you know you tell the player, you know, close your eyes, think about when you're returning from injuries. Your first game back, you're out on the field, the whistle's gone. You've done the you know off the kickoff. You've had a good carry. And you get back into for your next carry, you've run back and and you've just collapsed on the ground and, you, and your knee's gone again and your knee's and you've done your ACL. And, you know, you're lying on the ground at, you know, whether it's Suncorp Stadium and you think back to the last nine months of your rehab, is there, is there anything you could have done better? Um, you think about what you could have done better. And then you ask them, what is that thing? And if they say nothing, well, that's good. They've ticked every box along the way. But if there's something that they should have done, like I should have done more stepping off my right foot or I should have done you know, more strength work in the gym, I don't feel I'm quite strong enough yet, well, that allows them to, to come out with that. And I've used that tool many times since I've heard it and it's been really good because quite often they won't tell you they don't feel quite – they feel good cutting off their right foot but they don't feel really good. So I think um, that's something that I've used to pick up different things in the past where – the player hasn't told me on their own or I haven't asked the right questions to get it, but then that has brought out that you know, they're not confident in that area or, or they are confident, which is good. We push forward a bit more. I love that. I have never used that technique before. It's kind of like future pacing them and putting them in that position and be like, what could you do along the way? And then reverse engineering it and making sure that they are confident. And that also really plays into the mindset, right? So they yeah. get more confidence to be able to go, if it's a knee injury, to be able to go and play at full speed on that knee injury because they know yep. they've ticked the boxes. Yep. Yeah, spot on. So, I mean, you got to give it time where you can still have an intervention. You can't do it the week before because you're not going to get them stronger in a week. Or- yeah, so you need to do it far enough back, and you've also got ticked enough boxes along the way. So depending on the injury, it could be anywhere between three and six weeks, or even up to two months out from returning, and that allows help direct your rehab in the endpoint of rehab as well. So that's a really good tool. And and since then, I've, I've actually used that 
even for other guys, um, you know, like just to help reverse engineer guys who, you know, maybe haven't been putting everything into their training or, you know, they've been wavering a bit with eating the right foods and drinking too much alcohol, whatever it might be that's putting them off the rails a bit. You know, like if you, in two years' time, you've ended up, you haven't played NRL and you, and you end up um, playing Queensland Cup without an NRL contract, um, and you look back and you think, geez, I was in the NRL squad a couple of years ago, I probably should have worked a bit harder. Like, if there's something you should have worked harder on, what would that be? Mm. And that's just another tool for them to get thinking, okay, this is probably where I can be better. Yes. I'm going to steal that and start using that in the gym. You can use it probably plenty of places, you know. Once again, I haven't thought about it outside of our realm, but I'm sure there are. It's like the other thing is, what do I need to do to win? What are the key things yes. winners do? Okay, and then are we, where are we? Are we doing it? This is where we are. Okay, what do we got to fill ahead of? Yes, and success leaves cues, right? So you can look at people that have been successful and see what what milestones they've taken along the way. Anyone that's listening, if you can think of a way that you can use this in your life, in your workplace, at home, in your job, at the gym. I want you to pop in challenges that change us, our Facebook group, and I want you to write it in because this is something that I wish I knew 10 years ago when I started in the industry. So I want to see how else we can apply that in the world. You've got to be careful on the success of the excuse because just because someone is successful does something doesn't mean it's the thing that helps them be successful as well. As in, are you saying individually, like what works for one yeah. person may not work yeah, for the you, next? you got to get a bit of a trend before you use that. You can't yes, use that yes. But also, I mean, that's what we talk about, the right strategy for the right person at the right time. I've done another podcast, and if you haven't listened to this, by Sarah Davidson, Seize the Yay. That was our first podcast we launched. Jump in there and listen to this because we talk about exactly that point. It's like just because someone else is doing it doesn't mean it's right for you. Yes, watch, observe, listen, take on some advice, take on what they've done, but apply it to your world because you and them, you're not the same. You don't have the same background. You don't have the same training history. You don't have the same experiences, core beliefs, expectations, the whole lot. So it's about maybe seeing what other people are doing, but you know, we talked about the grass being greener on the other side of events versus the grass being greener where you water it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So your three tips. So if you're coming back from injury and I would say from what you're saying, I know we're talking about elite athletes, but this goes right across. So know the person or if it's you and you're thinking about yourself, know yourself. Like what is your mindset around the injury? How are you feeling about it? Are you someone that drives forwards? Are you someone that feels like everything's been lifted up and turned over and you're not sure and you're feeling really overwhelmed? Also set an outcome and that outcome might be a daily outcome or that outcome might be in the future. So it might be like a three-month outcome or a six-week outcome depending on what makes you tick. And then the third thing we talked about is potentially future pacing. So thinking about in a moment in the future, if you were to look back, what could you have changed along that road and getting to work and doing the work now in that space? Yeah, all good tips. Obviously, the environment, everyone's going to be a little bit different, but I think you just, rather than, I, I know this is prevalent, uh, is that you, people will go see physios and uh, the physios will give them exercises. They might do them twice. Oh, these aren't working. I'm still sore. It's about being consistent as well. Yeah. So probably the one word we haven't used today, which I'm big on is that you need to be consistent in what you're doing with your rehab if you want it to work or with it, pretty much anything in life. But if you want something to work, it's going to take time. It's like any habits. Can't build habits in three days. You're going to have to take time, but you've got to do something consistently over a period of time to, to build it into what you're trying to achieve. And I know when we were looking at our values and when we we're looking at things that we set up in our business, we talked about doing the work. 
you know, we talked about consistency, what it means to do the work and the outcomes that you can get from that. The other thing I was thinking about when you were talking about the physio, I know it's different for your work, but if you're someone listening that is just going to a gym, my recommendation would be to do the physio exercises at the gym before you even start. Just put it in your warm up. If you're someone that's not doing it at home, because I often find that people do it for the first couple of times and then drop off the wagon, where I see success is often when they come in and they do it before their workout or they couple it with something else. So if it's with a cup of tea in the morning, they do their exercises first and the cup of tea is kind of like the reward. Ah, I'm done. But it's like a reminder, right? It's a cue to kind of think, oh, I haven't done that yet today. And have you had any good mentors in the mindset space along the way? Like, or is this kind of a new, it's, I know in the time we've spoken, it seems to be getting more prelevant in elite sport. Yeah, well, well, I think, I don't know if you want me to say you, but. Oh, no, that's not where I was going. (laughs) As soon as I started that question, I'm like, oh, God, please don't, please don't. No, seriously, that's a genuine question. No, no, well, we've had different psychologists come into different organisations, but I've probably never had a long time to sit down with them. So most of the psych stuff, you know, been with you, um, the psych conversations, because, you know, we have all the, uh, and it started with the academy where I was like, we're doing great with, like, our programs physically, like what we can provide the players within our construct is as close to as good as it's going to be. But the only thing that we can't do is change behaviours. So that comes down to so how, how do we change behaviours? What's the best thing we can do? This is what we do already, which is quite good. But if we want to produce even more, well, like we, we had a we had a program where we were putting a lot of players through, which is successful. I think everyone's happy. But I'm like, I want to do even more rather than get fifty yeah. percent through? Can we get seventy five? You know, that's the next step. How do we lift an already high performing team? Yeah, and that was what I identified. So is what, what we need. And then we had some discussions, and we've had different sports psychs through the club that have more worked with NRL and done a little bit with the academy, but not not a Great deal. Even more so for me to learn it will also help. For me to learn some of these tools will help will help me have the conversations with players. Yeah. That revolves around psychology. So yeah, I mean yeah, we yeah, we've we've worked with different ones, picked some different things up along the way. So a good one recently was when I'm trying to speak to a player around what they're doing, you're more so framing up the behaviour as being poor because sometimes They'll feel like you're attacking them, but it's actually their behaviour. So if you do it, do that, and you ask their opinion on it, then they understand that they remove themselves away from it. That's a behaviour that's poor. Mm. So I thought that was a good tool. Out of curiosity, do you use that as a dad? Have you transferred that to home? Yeah, we quite often will talk about the behaviours being poor rather than yeah. Yeah, I was just wondering because I often say to the girls, we use that all the time. It's like I love you, but that behaviour is not okay. Or there's going to, I talked to them already. I'm trying to like lay the seed for teenage years in that, you know, I say to them, there's going to be times that your behavior is not going to be okay. Or I'm going to have conversations with you around that. And you're also going to have conversations with me around my behavior, but that doesn't change whether I love you and it doesn't change who you are. It's a behavior that we need to to look at. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Same, same, same thing. Yeah. Feels like parenting sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) But that's how we ended up running a business, right? We were like, God, there's so many transferable skills. You know, it goes across sport. It goes across um, corporates. It goes across parenting. It's like some of these tools that we can put in our toolbox for life, you just transfer to the situation that's in front of you. And I think it's just building that toolbox over time. Yep. Well, I guess it comes with, you know, another thing we talk about with players 
and my children is about learning. Like that's life's a journey of learning. Like when you stop learning, then what are you doing then? <laughs> mm. If you're not making mistakes, you're not you're not having yeah. a crack, right? Like you got yeah. you got to put yourself out there. And and classy. One of the questions that I love to ask at the end of the podcast. You know, I'd stay here and chat to you all day, and I'm. <laughs> feel like when I get you on screen, I want to want to stay because we it's so few and far between these days. But the question I do love to ask is who in your world, other than me, makes you truly belly laugh? You use that other than me every time you speak to someone? No, just I haven't used it yet because I know. <laughs> oh, can I mention two things? One is... um. Probably when my three-year-old daughter, when she dances now, that's pretty funny. Like, she thinks it's <laughs> pretty good. Has she got those moves from you? Um, no, she went to ballet, but then she comes home to show me dance moves. They're not ballet moves. They're just that's kind moves. of you, though. You did ballet for about 10 years, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 Yeah, so that's always funny at home. And then there's always, like, we got a golf, a social golf, golf group, which I don't get to play much anymore, but – when we go away on the trip away, there's always just – it's sledging galore. So it just ends up in in laughter, tears, not tears, tears, laughter, tears, probably at someone's expense, sometimes at mine, but mostly at other people's. <laughs> and, uh, and that's always good. It's just because it's a good, good group. There's never any any dramas or rubbish in them. And, um, and there's, yeah, just a mountain of sledging, which is just – I love doing – I love having and love being a part of. And that's part of rugby league, right? Some people sledging each other, so – I think I can put that weekend that you go away on my belly laugh as well because often I get some photos and I am there laughing. I think, God, people are going to think I'm weird, right? Some of the photos that come through. Thank you so much. Like you are right in the thick of it at the moment. For those that don't know, we're a few weeks into the season. So to get... Dave on for this amount of time is actually <laughs> we're very very lucky so really appreciate it what's on for you this afternoon All right, I'll probably just have another quick squeeze if there's anything else to do and probably head home this is today's a quarter day it's not on training day so all prepared for tomorrow already so nice yeah. let's go yeah. home and spend some time with the kitties how good was that? I had no idea where that interview was going to go. Uh, I always love having a conversation with Classy. He's so knowledgeable in his industry and I cannot wait to get him back on the show. We'll dive super deep into the challenges that you guys face uh, on an everyday basis in the gym, in your training, in strength and conditioning and give you some really cool tips and hacks on what you can do with those challenges. Don't forget to watch the Broncos next game and look for the guy in the yellow shirt. And I just want to say a massive shout out to you all for all your amazing support, all your shares and your comments. It has just been overwhelming, but super exciting and the little community that we're starting to create. So Thank you so much, and I really look forward to being with you guys next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week, we will return with another episode. Thank you.